You're listening to Health Beyond Mormonism, an evidence-based health podcast for all the lazy learners who are learning to navigate life after Mormonism. I'm your host, Lindsay Ron, a personal trainer, nutritionist, health coach, and post-Mormon. Come with me as we re-examine everything you've ever been taught over the pulpit about nutrition, mental health, sexuality, and body autonomy, so that you can experience your best health beyond Mormonism. Now let's get into it. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to take a second to invite you to play Healthy Boundaries Bingo inside the Health Beyond Mormonism community on Facebook, November 13th through 17th. For those coming out of Mormonism, I'm sure you're all too familiar with friends and family feeling like it's their righteous duty to quote unquote help you to get back on the straight and narrow. Healthy Boundaries Bingo will give you a safe space, a safe community, and lots of tools to make those interactions as safe and positive as possible, just in time for the holidays. Join the Health Beyond Mormonism community on Facebook to play. Hello, and welcome to Health Beyond Mormonism, an evidence-based health podcast for Mormon-flavored people who are looking to learn how to navigate their health beyond what they learned from the pulpit. I am so excited, you guys. I have one of the most interesting people that I've met, Marissa Grimmel. Did I pronounce that right, Marissa? Grimmel. Grimmel. Now, Marissa, you your pin name is Marissa. That was your given name at birth, but you go by a different name now. What is that? Ethan. I go by Ethan now. You go by Ethan. Um And you guys, this is part of why I am so excited to interview Ethan today is because we do not have in our society and especially coming out of Mormonism, I don't know that many people who've transitioned genders and, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people kind of in the same boat. And this is a really fantastic opportunity to get to know like the landscape. Um, And so with all that said, um, Ethan, do you mind, let's start with like an introduction about who you are, you know, where you're at, what your job is, and then, and then we can start asking you all the questions. Is that cool? Yeah, that's great. All right. So I am an author. I write erotic romance um, about college baseball players specifically. And I grew up a member of the church and was very devout all through childhood, all through the beginning of adulthood and um, slowly figured out that the church was not right for me. Um, And now just living and thriving beyond that. That's awesome. Do you make your living as a writer or do you like have a day job and it's your side hustle? Yeah. So that's a good question. A lot of writers will have another job Um, right now. I'm only writing. Awesome. That is so cool. How do you like it? Oh, it's great. It's it's literally my dream come true. Ah, oh, that is that is fantastic. Um, okay, so Ethan, where can we find you? Like, let's have a little plug before we get into things. Where can we find you online? Yeah, so like I said, I publish under Marissa Grimal. Um, so my online personas are all under Marissa Grimal. Um, you can find my books on Amazon. And you can find me on Instagram, I'm on TikTok, and I'm on Facebook. So just Marissa J. Grimal. Awesome. And are you pretty active in all the places, or is there one place that's your favorite? 
Uh, Instagram is definitely my favorite platform, but I am active on all of them. So if you want to interact, if you want to get in touch, I love hearing from people. Awesome. You can follow me. You can send me a message. Um, you can ask me questions about the podcast if you want. <laughs> oh, rad. That's awesome. Okay. So, um, so Ethan, you go by Ethan now. Um, is it okay if I ask what are your preferred pronouns? Yes, I prefer he, him, and I'm also okay with they, them. Um, anything that is not she, her. Perfect. I think that's, you know, that's a really important thing to sort of establish at the beginning of getting to know somebody is, you know, how can we show respect and how can we show as much understanding as possible without making a lot of assumptions? So along those lines, uh, Ethan, we talked before we hit record about like, can you give us like a little, uh, Etiquette 101 for people who don't have a lot of experience interacting with trans people. Like we just talked about pronouns. What words are okay to use? What's respectful and what's not okay to use? Yeah, that's a great question. And again, I love talking about this because you're right. There's not a lot of conversation and um, it's something that we can work on in society to make this more comfortable. The easiest way for me to know that you are a safe person for me to talk to is if you introduce yourself with your pronouns. It's like the easiest way for me to know, okay, this person will be receptive. This person will not automatically judge me because my appearance might not match what I identify with. So if you come in contact with someone, especially if you're not sure, uh, and really you can't assume <laughs> a lot mm -hmm. of people have transitioned or not medically. And so it's a very great conversation to have of just putting your pronouns on your email signature, of putting it on your social media platform. You know, if you have your pronouns listed, that will say to someone who is non-binary or transgender that they are safe with you. Mm, that's that's a really good point. And I think I think most of my things have she her on them for that very reason because somebody else told me that now does that does that make things kind of awkward like if you're in the workplace and you're meeting people for the first time or do you feel like it goes pretty smooth and people are pretty understanding it's definitely awkward <laughs> like you're saying a lot of people do not know a trans person and unfortunately a lot of trans people do not feel safe coming out because of this so um, some of us call it being a secret agent. We will sometimes be the gender assigned at birth, the one that people assumed out in public because we don't know if it's safe. And hopefully as people will become more aware, we can create more safe spaces. Uh, but definitely when I worked somewhere, even though I was trans, working, no one wanted to know my pronouns. No one wanted to respect this part of me. I was called ma'am and she, there was a lot of even sexist language. You know, this kind of thing happens to trans people daily, weekly. You mm -hmm. know, this is very difficult. Even at the grocery store, a lot of times people say, oh, thanks, ma'am. You know, and, and like I say, that's where I think it's best not to assume. Mm -hmm. We can often communicate perfectly clearly without gendered language. Um, I talk about this one a lot. So ma'am and sir, usually it's okay to leave those off. A lot of culture thinks that's uh, polite, but it's actually, it can be very triggering to someone who is transgender and 
is seen then as the opposite of how they feel. And that's a big part of why pronouns even matter. Um, I don't know that everyone understands this, but when someone is transgender, their body does not match how they feel. Mm -hmm. And when they see themselves, they do not see the gender that they were assigned. That's not how they feel. So when someone sees them as the gender they were assigned, it can trigger dysphoria, which is an uncomfortable sensation in the body that's just reminding that person that they don't fit how they feel. And so Mm -hmm. when someone uses the correct pronouns, it actually does the opposite response. And I feel very euphoric. I feel very seen. And it's like, yeah, how I feel aligns with how other people see me. And at the heart of it, that's why pronouns matter at all. Yeah. So as a trans person, do you have any advice to other folks who've transitioned if they work in sort of a public kind of setting, how to deal with, like you said, when you have customers coming up and the, all they see is like your physical body. And if you still have physical traits of the gender that you're moving away from, like I'm assuming it's probably not emotionally healthy to be feeling triggered all the time. So are there ways that you can interact with that a little bit more healthier, <laughs> more robust? This is a great question. And honestly, it's very specific to the person and the situation. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know that I have advice to give other than do the best you can to follow your heart on that one. Um, And that's where I'm saying it ideally work in safe environments, ideally Mm -hmm. work in places that are affirming of LGBTQ plus individuals. Um, It's sometimes very difficult to know if the job you're going for is affirming. But there are ways that you can kind of gauge that. And um, the last place I worked, I did not correct people pronouns. Um, I chose not to because I didn't feel like it was going to be a receptive environment, um, at least for the most part. So Mm -hmm. because of that, I chose to allow people to see me as I present. But it was, it was very triggering to have that conflict within. And so because of that, I decided next time I go into a place, I'm going to be very clear and say, you know what, I'm trans. And yes, I might not look like what you think, but that doesn't mean that's not who I am. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like it helps to like really make your appearance like as obvious as possible? Or do you, I mean, you know, like if you cut your hair and you're like wearing men's clothing out of the men's department at the store, like, does that help? Or are people still just going to see what your body looks like? That's a great question. Um, And again, it depends on the person. My body looks very female. Like if you just look at me, I get ma'am all the time. Like, even if I talk as low as possible in my voice register, even if, you know, I've had a masculine looking haircut for a long time. I mostly wear men's clothing and yeah, people still assume I'm a woman. And that's gotta be, that's gotta be a new level of mind fuckery to have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. I'm, I'm sorry that that's, that's something that you have to deal with. It's frustrating. Um, And a lot of people who transition go through this because not everyone can or chooses to medically transition. Um, Mm -hmm. It's very difficult process to go through and some people will choose some options and not others 
And there are trans people that fully need to pass as the gender they identify with and will take all the steps to pass. But there's still some gray area there that some people will probably misgender you. Um, mm -hmm. And and that's, that's a sad part of the journey that uh, the good news is I've been able to build a community, people that know I'm trans, that I have people that text me and they're very affirming. I have people I hang out with who are very affirming. You know, it's finding that space where you can truly be yourself makes all the difference. Because when I go get takeout, I'm probably going to be called ma'am. But mm -hmm. when I'm at home, when I'm with the people that I'm out to that understand me, that's affirming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, I, I would imagine that that's some somewhat internal, like, just knowing who you are and that same kind of dysphoria kind of thought process can apply to like people who have like gained weight. If they used to be thin, they look in the mirror and they don't look like what they think that they should look like, or people who've had, you know, any kind of changes to their body like that, it can really be tough to chew on, you know, internally. And so um, I appreciate, I appreciate that you are you know, willing to sort of address that head on and, and, you know, and it is a hard thing. Would you ever, like, if you have like a name tag at work, would you ever like put your pronouns on it? Like to just to make a really public signal or like, is that even fair to feel like you would have to, is that even your responsibility? You know what I'm asking? <laughs> I do know what you're asking. And yeah, again, that's a very it's a tricky territory. And it, again, if you're working at an affirming place and mm -hmm. you walk in in the job interview and you say who you are and they choose to respect that, um, then it wouldn't necessarily be needed. Now, maybe if you're seeing customers all day and I have, I've walked around town and I've seen a non-binary flag on someone's visor at a barbecue restaurant, um, for instance. So then that triggered to me, okay, this person does not want to be called the gender that they are presenting as because they have clued me in with that tag. And because of that, I really appreciate visibility. Um, and so even just a rainbow, um, a mm -hmm. lot of times means I'm not going to feel as comfortable if you address me by your assumptions. And yeah, so it's definitely an option, again, if you feel safe, if you feel comfortable doing that. Um, and it, it's a very easy way to remind people and since we're talking about etiquette, yeah. uh, a big conversation here is, well, what if I misgender someone? I have had best friends that have accidentally called me she. Mm -hmm. And how you address it is important because um, <laughs> what I've noticed is when someone says it and then they say, oh, sorry, I mean he, or oh, sorry, I mean they, and then we all move on. That is the easiest way <laughs> for me. Right. I do not like it when it becomes socially awkward <laughs> um, because someone makes it a big deal. For instance, I have been in situations where the person has over-apologized and gone oh. on and on and on and, oh, I'm so <laughs> sorry, and you can't expect me to remember all the time, you know, and it's like, oh, no, oh, <laughs> I'm like, I would rather you not call me anything than have to go through, like, just let me be she if, if it's going to be a big deal, you know, like, that's how I feel. And I think a lot of people feel that way. It's like, it's already uncomfortable for me to let people know that I, especially if I don't know them very well, 
it's already uncomfortable to like be like no please call me he um and then if they do have that moment and it goes on for five minutes ten minutes that they're still looking at you funny they're acting weird the whole rest of your in interaction is just focused on that like I have never enjoyed that experience. <laughs> to me, no. that, that's more painful than, like I said, being assumed as she. Um, and so to me, the best way, if you are aware that you've misgendered someone, is just to say, oh, I'm sorry, say the actual pronoun and then move on. And then, it, or um, some people say, oh, my bad, and then move on. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be a big deal. And you don't even have to apologize. You can just be like, oh, I meant, and then move on. So if you realize it, that is usually the best way because an important thing to remember is we don't want to make this awkward. <laughs> I, right. I think a lot of people assume they're like, oh, you want all this attention. No, that's that's not true. I don't want the attention. I would rather not have any attention about my gender identity. Um, mm -hmm. If we're being real, I would rather just exist in the world without being triggered and to be seen and respected as a human um, and not have to make it a big deal. Right, because isn't that like, baseline humanity is am I allowed to exist in the way that I feel is authentic absolutely right absolutely yeah and like you say it it's uh, applicable to a lot of people um, anyone who is different than other people often perceive them you know that causes some unrest and when mm -hmm. those two things can align in the most peaceful way that's the goal mm -hmm that yeah. I can exist as me regardless of gender identity. Like, and I think that's at the heart of it too. Um, we live in a very gender gendered world. You know, everything mm -hmm. is seen different. And when I worked at that other place, it was very much, they treated you differently if you were a woman versus a man. Um, mm -hmm. And I saw that every day. And I was like, um, as someone who was treated like a woman most of my life, I understand that that has never been true. You know, like, it's like, you shouldn't be treating these things different. There, there might be some difference between male and female, but a lot of what our society teaches and just the gender stigmas in general that women are more nurturing for house, you know, that's not true. You know, it's, there's a lot of things that people will refer to and they'll be like, oh, it's because you're a woman or, oh, it's because you're a man or, or, oh, you can only like this or you can only like that. And that's where you can see a trans person that still wears clothing from the women's section, even if they are a trans man. Um, I do that sometimes because my body is still flattering to me, you know, like I feel more mm -hmm. comfortable sometimes in a feminine outfit and people don't owe you <laughs> an explanation right. they don't have to dress up like I was like I don't want to feel put in another box like I already stepped out of the box of being told mm -hmm. I was a woman I don't want to step into another box yeah well I feel like those boxes are so artificial like yeah I, I've never fit in the boxes ever like I was a I majored on the drums. I was a music major on drums and I always played Legos and the only Barbie I owned, I shaved her head and she had to be the one that my Ninja Turtles rescued, you know, cause they had it. to have someone to rescue. And like my whole life, you know, I had older brothers. I wore boy clothes. I lift weights. I do power tools. You know, I don't wear makeup. I've, I have like zero interest in the whole makeup and lace and flowers and frills and you know as someone who 
especially coming out of like the Mormon culture, like I don't fit, you know, I'm a mom, I'm married to a man, I'm living the life, but I don't fit in the box and I never have, and I never will. And there is like, I mean, I understand to a very small degree, there is a lot of pressure to conform and it is, you know, it is quite damaging to, to be told, you know, like, well, you would be more successful if you dressed more feminine or if you wore more makeup or if you lost weight or if you wore your hair down more, you know, or if you didn't speak up your opinions that here's some of like the behavioral yes. stuff, you know, you're taught. Oh, like, yeah. oh don't speak Absolutely. Up. Yes. And you know, the thing is, is I, I tried that. I tried to be like the good girl. Like I tried to not share my opinions and, you know, not set boundaries for myself and not be assertive. And for years I tried that. And it really just ended up that I was being very untrue to myself and it didn't work for me. Yes. I love that because you represent so much of how our gendered world is wrong mm-hmm. that you can enjoy masculine things or things that people have assigned as masculine, you know, power. Right. Like, and I, I've felt that way too. It's like, well, if a toilet needs to be fixed, what body parts I have have nothing to do with that. I'm going to go fix the toilet or whoever right. is available to fix the toilet is going to fix the toilet. You know, like, it's so silly. Like, um, like if you watch Leave it to Beaver and she's always vacuuming the floor, you know, it's like, that's the picture I think of when I think of like this woman and um, within the church, you're supposed to be that. You're supposed to be the good Mormon housewife. And do you want to hear a funny story about when I was in the church? Yes. Okay, so... <laughs> I lived in this ward and um, they had a bulletin board and they wanted me to decorate the bulletin board. And I had some crafty stuff, but I wasn't necessarily like this homemaker extraordinaire. That just wasn't me. I decorated it how I thought looked nice. It had Jesus on there. It had the announcements. I thought that was perfectly fine. I was told by a man in the bishopric that it was not good enough that I needed to make it more feminine really is what he was saying, that he, that I was not living up to my Mormon value as a Mormon housewife woman to actually be decorating this appropriately. And I was laughing to myself because, well, I, I laugh about it now. And in the, in the initial part, it was very insulting. I was like, I'm not womanly enough for you, but you're not even decorating this board. Like you're not the one that's going to the craft store to get all the supplies. <laughs> you have not supplied me with anything. This is what I had at my house. And, and yeah, they didn't want to fund it. it. It couldn't even come out of tithing money. I was like, you want me to go spend my personal money and make this be- beautiful Pinterest looking board for you? Because you think that's how I have value in this world. And I, I told him off. I was like, well, you might need to find someone who's more crafty to do this. And the look on his face was utter suck. And I... I kind of love that that moment happened because that was toward the end of my Mormon experience where I was just kind of done buckling down to the patriarchy. Like, Mm -hmm. I was like, how silly. This is a bulletin board. And like I said, it had the announcements. It had Jesus. What else do you need? I I feel for you. That's so bad. It's like if they they had a, a way that they wanted it to look, why didn't they just go do it? 
And body parts have nothing to do with that, by the way. Like, you right. can be born with any body parts and decorate a bulletin board and play with Barbies <laughs> or Ninja Turtles or baseball or volleyball. You know, like, even some sports are like, well, that's very feminine sport. You know, it's, it's so silly to me. I'm like, no, Does, is your body part required for this activity? Right. If the answer is no, it does not need to be gender specific. Right. Well, and I, I relate to your story so much because I I don't have like an interior design bone in my body. And like when we went to right. go sell our house in Arkansas 10 years ago, the realtor lady was like, oh, well, we should put some, you know, brightly colored blankets and throw pillows around and some pictures up on the walls. And I was like, what? What do you mean brightly colored? Like, do you mean like hot pink? What do you mean? Yeah zero concept I had no idea what she was talking about but I mean she was really just talking about like staging the house but like I don't right I don't have a single picture hung up in my house I don't have any decorations yeah. because I don't know how to do it like I don't know what looks good like I'm a I'm a I'm a sound person I'm a musician I don't the only reason like I have anything on my walls here in my studio is because there's a drum set and I've got rugs up on the walls to like dampen Love the, the sound, sound. And yes. I like the way they look. I think they're cool, but I didn't like, I wasn't choosing things for their aesthetic, you know, value. Like that's not something. So anyway, yeah, no, I, I feel like I can, I can relate to that. And it also brings up a thought of, do you remember back when probably before we were old enough to be adults, but they used to have Relief Society night and they called it homemaking. Yes. The women were required to build all these skills in homemaking because yes, that's all we were meant for. Yes. Let and that sit for a minute. It feels horrible, I think, to most people. Right. Well, and it's just so weird. It was normal then, you know, like, and the fact that yes. that was assigned, like if you were a woman in the church, you were assigned to be the person in charge of the house and the kids and not do anything else with and your it's life. your value yeah I actually had a job as a young Mormon mom and I remember feeling like a lot of the women were almost threatened by that because mm -hmm. my place was in the home so either they were judging me that I wasn't being a good enough parent or they were in some ways probably jealous of having something else because mm -hmm. I always had my books and I often had a day job also. And so that was very difficult for people. And even if I was only working a few hours, I valued that time for myself um, because I actually felt like a better parent when I could focus on something else. And then mm -hmm. I could focus on the home when I was at home and I could focus on work when I was at work. And it actually provided a very healthy balance for me as a young Mormon mom. And a lot of people misunderstood that because it's so radical to a lot of people um, mm -hmm. and some people even their situation they need to work and I remember commiserating with another Mormon mom who was like no financially I have to work in order to even provide for my kid like in our situation I need a paying job and women shame me for that because I'm supposed to have more faith that our incomes are not you know and just like mm -hmm. all of the toxicity there or like the people that live on way less because they feel bad working, you know, like, or because you're paying a large chunk of your income to tithing. Um, mm -hmm. And then you're expected to only be at home 
it's it's very difficult because that's how you earn value in the church but then you still don't receive that value it's never enough no it Even never if you're is the best homemaker on the street there's there's no way to be satisfied with that like there's always going to be you should have done the bulletin board better you know you should have made a yeah. better meal you should have been a better housewife yeah yeah it's it's the thankless job and that's one of the reasons why like I started doing the health coaching I I well let me back up I used to do professional music and I got that same kind of judgment from the women in my ward and then you know staying home with kids and stuff like they tell you this is the most important thing. And I believe it. I mean, you know, there's there's nobody like a child's own parent to be home with them most of the time. But to have been basically like assigned that and for this, you know, 10 year period, I'm just going to not work and just be home with the kids and nothing else. There's this really deep need for like existing. Like yeah. I want to exist. I would like to exist in the adult world outside of the home. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to do what I need to do with my kids. Um, it doesn't mean I'm not going to be a good mom, but I need to exist. And I kind yes. of feel like that the way that things were set up, like coming out of Mormonism was just like, you're not really supposed to exist. Like the men are supposed to exist and you're yeah. supposed to just kind of like be the support person at home. And that's behind you know. every good man is a good Mormon woman. Did you ever hear that one? Yes. <laughs> yes behind behind you can't even be beside your partner in life it's it's sad yeah oh oh my goodness so let's let's turn the conversation back over to you so you got kids you were a mormon mom and yes. then at some point something changed uh yeah. can you explain that journey it's this is just so fascinating i'm i'm so grateful that you're here today because i i feel like you're just so easy to talk to and your story is just so fascinating to me Oh, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, a lot of things changed, actually. <laughs> um, so, like I said, it was it was hard. Um, and I didn't have the vocabulary for it. You know, like, I'm coming at this from a trans person that didn't realize I was trans till I was 30 years old. I didn't have the vocabulary for this to understand what I was feeling. It turns out a lot of things in the church were really adding to my discomfort as a trans person, but also as a human being. Um, mm -hmm. And so I am married and my partner was going through a faith transition on his own. And he clued me in on some of that kind of slowly over time. I was pregnant at the time and it came as a big shock because we had been a very devout Mormon couple. You know, we were mm -hmm. married in the Salt Lake Temple it's still in our wedding album. You know, it's, mm -hmm. we, I grew up completely devoted to the gospel. You know, like I went to EFY every summer. My dad was a state president. You know, there's so many things that made the church everything. Like it was our identity, right? Right. Um, living in this gospel. And then we were doing all the right things. We got married after we dated for a year in the temple. And um, we, started our family and we were raising children in Zion, you know, like all of the checkmark Mormon goals. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I watched my partner go through the, the faith journey. And um, because we had a really good relationship, it actually, I was more okay with it than I thought I would be. <laughs> if mm -hmm. that sounds funny, coming from that spot where I was still completely in the church, I was surprised 
that when he wasn't sure if the church was for him, it wasn't really this crazy concept. Because I had been told from the Mormon church that you only leave if there's a really bad sin or you really want a bad sin Mm -hmm. or, you know, it has to be this extreme situation because there's a lot of black and white thinking. And I remember watching my partner go through this. It was a lot of gray area. And I remember like the part of me that that resonated with was, oh, actually that makes a lot of sense, you know, and he had all of his feelings and thoughts and the ones that he shared with me during that time. Yes, initially it was very shocking, but after I like listened, I was like, oh, actually that makes a lot of sense. I'm really glad that you are doing what you need to do, like at the heart Mm -hmm. of it all. And I was shocked by that in myself because I was supposed to stay true and faithful to the end, you know? And so it it created a lot of um, awkwardness in my own mind, but I'm thankful for it because again, I was already in a place that I could listen, you know, once, well, and it wasn't all overnight. It was a very long process. Um, and a lot of people that leave the church, it's it's over a very long time. A lot of times is yours. Well, not everyone, but our story was there were a lot of steps in between. There was thinking about it and staying in the church and kind of taking a step back. And what do we really want out of life? And I still wanted to be Mormon. And he was fully supportive of that. And he wanted to not be active in the church. And I was supportive of that. And I remember the reaction of other people was not what I anticipated at all. Um, A lot of people in our ward thought he had either left me, like that was a big gossip going around. Um, Yeah, so there was a gossip that we were splitting up. And I was like, well, you know, that happens, but that wasn't the case. You know, like that's Mm -hmm. a big assumption for someone to just put in. Um, I was like, no, we're actually still very happy together. Um, And then another, a lot of the reaction was, you need to make him come back to church. Um, and that, again, mm-hmm. my value as a woman was to bring my man back to God. And this was all my fault somehow, you know. And I remember when that happened, I was like, I don't know if I want to be a part of this anymore. And yeah. it really has nothing to do with him leaving. Because I think um, a lot of people maybe assume that he, like, dragged me out of the church. No, that wasn't what happened at all. Like, we were both in a mixed-faith marriage, and it was okay. Like he supported me when I got up and went to church and I supported him that he didn't. And we were able to get there. Like, again, it wasn't overnight, but we worked on what the dynamic was. And I stayed in the church for another year and I was very active and trying to figure out what I needed. Um, But yeah, like I remember that the response was very eye-opening to me that maybe this wasn't what I wanted in life. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't my responsibility to bring him back. And he wasn't damned you know like I, I remember right. this moment like no like it, it just it kind of flipped a switch because everything I'd been told was that he would be a horrible person if he left and he actually felt freer to be himself you know and I was like watching this I was like oh that wasn't true what else isn't true mm-hmm. um, and it yeah so my reasons a lot of my reasons came down to that but and again I, I took a long time to think about it and pray about it and search for it and I think it was really telling for me to actually step away was so hard. And I decided I didn't want to be a part of something that I couldn't step away from. Mm -hmm. That seemed unhealthy for me. I was like, I don't think I should be bound to this religion. And the fact that I feel so much guilt and pain, just trying to do something simple, like stop wearing garments for one day. Um, I stood in my closet and I took off my garments and it was one of the hardest moments of my life. And I remember thinking, wow, 
I don't think this is what I need. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That's powerful. What were a few of the things that when you disconnected from the church, were some of the topics, the same reasons that your husband disconnected or was it just like a totally separate thing? That's a good question. I think we, um, there was definitely some overlap. Like um, he had read, you know, the CES letter. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to, like, I read some of it, but I was like, that didn't, <laughs> that wasn't a big thing for me. Like the fact checking, I was like, oh yeah, that, that I don't really agree with that either. But for me, it was more the emotional of, I don't believe that God would really only save some of his children on these conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, that my family was suddenly going to hell. Like I, I had someone, a mom at a playgroup told me that. One of my friends told me, and she quoted a general authority saying that if the wife doesn't bring the husband, I don't even, I wish I had the quote, like, so I could look at it because I'm yeah. so ridiculous. Now, I don't even know. It was like, um, I think it was even like one of those BYU devotional type of things. But she okay. like was at least ad-libbing it to me in her playroom when our kids were playing together what could have gone through her head that is so inappropriate I I truly believe she was trying to help me that she thought my family was in danger and and yeah it's not okay to say that to someone but I remember like (laughs) that was a big part of me like whoa (laughs) it's like oh no this is not okay with me um and and yeah like we listened to a lot of um ex-mormon stories you know and so Mm -hmm. and at first it was kind of hard for me to listen to because I was still going to church I was still you know kind of doubling up on my faith is this really for me moment um right and then I would hear other people and it was like hearing that there was life on the other side was actually very good for me Mm -hmm. because I've been told everything falls apart and you basically are doomed to hell right like yeah you're gonna go off the deep end yeah yeah what does that even mean Um, I remember I dated a guy once and his sister had left the church. And I remember my parents weren't sure if I could go out with him because his sister had left the deep end. And Uh, yeah, I was like, no, that, that shouldn't be a thing. Like one, it's a different person anyway. And two, why are you judging them? You don't even know them hardly at all. Like they barely knew this person. And I was like, yeah, the judgment of those that leave the church is severe. Well, and that's, Um, you know, that's one thing it's really hard to like delicately you know because like I here on this platform on this podcast I don't want to come across as someone who's like you know the angry ex-mormon trying to convince everyone to leave the church and that you know because I I really believe like one of my core values is that like your spiritual autonomy is is like the number one thing for your physical and mental health you know like yeah. if, if being in the church is working for you that is amazing but then yeah. you hear stuff like this. So when one of, <clears throat> I hate to use the C word cult, mm-hmm. but one of the key characteristics of having, of, of something being a cult, being defined as, as a cult is that there are like severe consequences to people who leave, whether it be like, whether the, you know, the people inside the group, like physically come after you and try to convince you to come back or threaten you to come back, or whether it's like, uh, the, the, the doctrine threatening you with hell and fire, if you don't come back, but either way, like, you know, on on the journey, leaving the church, like you are afraid of at least what people are going to think and how they're going to treat you. 
and not to mention the existential, like, what if I'm wrong? You know, like, am I going yeah. to hell? Um, it's very difficult to navigate through all of those feelings. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's heartbreaking to, to even think about now because like, I have so many friends who are still in the church, but are very unhappy, but they don't feel safe leaving. Yeah. And that's where I was thankful that I could. Um, I was thankful I was in a place that I was like, yeah, this isn't, isn't what's right for me in my life. This doesn't align with my goals and my feelings. I was glad I was able to step away and I was glad I, I could keep away for long enough to adjust to, cause literally when I left, it was just a trial thing. I wasn't sure. I, mm-hmm. I actually had a therapist at the time. She's like, take one step, take one step to the side, see how that feels, you know? And that was to me, not wearing the garment, you know, it was like the one thing that I was, okay, this is a big change that I can try out and see how I feel, try it on for size. And that ended up being like really good advice. Cause I was like, okay, yeah, actually I feel better now that I've separated. And um, so a lot of my reasons at the heart of it was um, how I was treated as a woman in the church. That was mm-hmm. not cool with me. And I think whether or not I was trans didn't actually necessarily change that. I think I was not okay with how the church treated women at all. Like, because yeah, things like the bulletin board had happened, like many other moments had happened that I felt very, it wasn't balanced. You know, the Mormon men versus women wasn't balanced. Mm -hmm. And I remember like a lot of people I knew would like make fun of the people, the women that wanted the priesthood. And I remember it was a big thing that was like, oh, well, I'm okay that the Lord didn't want me to have the priesthood. And they felt very good about that you know and these were a lot of the conversations I'd heard and I remember being like well I don't know if I need the priesthood but like why can't they have it you know like I was like really though and then it was funny because when I did like go through my own coming out to myself as a trans person like one of the most heartbreaking things left over was if I was trans in the church and I would have grown up knowing that they wouldn't have let me be a part of the priesthood. No. No. Like, and and that's where there wasn't room for me to be myself. Nobody could have supported me on my trans journey. Not really within the church. No, because Um, I think even doctrinally, like your very existence is. Is a threat to the church. Yeah. Like remember the proclamation on the family, like. Yeah. They're, they're not okay with people stepping outside of the gender boxes. No, it's very condemned in the church and yeah. even the sexuality because a man is supposed to marry a woman. Mm-hmm. No exception there ever. And I, I think the black and white thinking got me really bad too. Like when I started to step more into gray area, I was like, no, this is actually very healthy that not every path is for everyone you know not one single path is for everyone it's not a one-size-fits-all doctrine and like you say there's some people that exist in the church and they are thriving and that's awesome and some people that are existing in the church that are not thriving and that's where it's like well maybe something else would be healing for you yeah I totally agree yeah there really isn't I mean I feel like there's not space in the church for people who are not uh straight married have children you know choose to like yeah 
follow the mold, the cookie cutter. Like if you're outside of that in any way, I mean, I have spoken to single parents who felt like there was no space for them doctrinally, like not even just like the way people treat you, like when you go to church, but like doctrinally, like, yeah, there's no space. You're not getting into heaven. Yeah. Or people, uh, women who are the second wife of a priesthood holder who is already sealed to somebody, you know, or, you know, a woman, women whose priesthood holding husband died and they want to get remarried. And now they have to choose like who their eternal companion is going to be. Do they divorce their deceased, you know, or like, these are not questions that like for, for a, a God who loves his children and that, there should be space for everybody. Like Jesus, yes. Jesus would make space for everybody. So there's just this huge disconnect here where you feel successful in the church if you already are naturally fitting the mold. But if you're not, then you can just go to outer darkness. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So can we, in your story, so you've left the church, you took the garment off. And at this point in time, you are still married. You've got children. Actually, I guess I should back up. Do you mind if I ask, are you currently married now? Yes. To the same person and everything? Yes. Okay. Okay, good. So that helps us orient on your story. Okay. So you left the church, you took off the garment, you had children. And then at some point, where did the gender transition happen? Yeah. So that's actually been in the last couple of years for me. And this segues into writing a little bit. So like I mentioned, I write erotic romance and I stepped into that when I was still Mormon. Um, I remember I wrote a sex scene and it was actually a writing experience for me because I found it very interesting that you can't just throw it on the page. You know, there's an art to an intimate scene Mm -hmm. from a writing perspective that I wanted to challenge myself with. And I shared it with a friend and she told me I was encouraging women to cheat on their husbands. Oh, that's not how erotica works. I'm sorry. No. Sorry, lady. Yeah, that is very much not the case. So I would love to talk about that stigma around romance for a minute. Um, mm-hmm. Let's do. <laughs> romance is a very popular genre. And with good reason. It's very enjoyable. And it can also be very good for your sexual health as an individual or in a relationship Mm -hmm. or both you know it can be something that can be a safe space for you to experience things that you might not experience or things that you might want to experience it gives you a place to really feel these feelings in a safe and healthy environment that helps you then connect with your sexual side in Mm -hmm. a healthy and positive way Um, I think in our culture there's a lot of things that are against sex you know, there's a lot of shame, especially coming from the Mormon view, that you're mm-hmm. not even supposed to think about sex. You're not even supposed to act on sex. You know, they love to say, don't act on it, um, right. especially the queer person in the church. Um, they want you to just be completely celibate your whole life. Um, but even mm-hmm. if you are doing a male-female relationship, uh, you're supposed to wait until marriage. You're not even supposed to do anything more than a heavy makeout session, you have no idea if the person you marry is going to even be sexually compatible with you at all. Um, You don't Mm -hmm. even know what that looks like. And so I think it actually 
is very difficult for a lot of people. And it definitely was difficult for me um, to go from the zero to a thousand, to have almost no sexual encounters or experiences that were positive at all um, into marriage and be like, wow, I'm supposed to be awesome at sex now. <laughs> you know, it's mm -hmm. like, that is really hard for a lot of people. And one thing I love about romance is you can read it and you can feel comfortable with your sexual feelings. Like if I could have read some romance before, it would have helped me relate to myself better mm -hmm. and relate to uh, potential partners better. You know, it, I think right. it's healthy to give yourself permission to really experience pleasure through the written word. Yeah. Well, and I think that's fantastic. And I think that's, that's one of the things like you had mentioned, like you don't even know what to expect out of your sex life once you're married and you don't even know what a positive relationship, like what a healthy relationship looks like. Like you don't even yeah. know. No. And being like in, in, in the paradigm coming out of the church, the way that they say you should be doing it is actually not a healthy relationship. Right that, you know, you're each 50, 50, right. You're each 50% and you come together to complete each other. Yes. And, you know, sex is still a sin. You have to do it the right way. And then yes. it's not a sin, but you're both equally responsible for one another's purity, even yes. after you're married. Yes. And so that they're, they're building this codependency, um, yes which is also this unrealistic thing because let's face it, like 110% of adult men and probably 90% of adult women are going to be using pornography or erotica or something that the church would disapprove of. Right. Even while they're married and the church yes. still disapproves of those things while you're married. Yeah. And yet the partner is responsible for each other's purity. Like you have yes. to police each other. And that is just so incredibly codependent and unhealthy and toxic. Does so much harm. Yeah. So much harm. And so, you know, getting married in this vacuum of like, what does a healthy sexual relationship look like? Well, we're not allowed to talk about it. You're no. not allowed to talk to anybody except maybe you're not your even parents. supposed to think about it. You're not supposed to think about it. You're definitely not supposed to watch R-rated movies or no. read erotica or watch porn or have any kind of yeah. experience, even to the point of like, I felt like when I was a young married person, I couldn't even like check out like medical, like sex books, like yeah. with the line diagrams, like showing what uh -huh. the anatomy, like that yeah. was pornography. Like you can't even, right. it is so incredibly toxic. So and they put love that you so much point. they put so much weight on it too that it it makes it really hard and and that it actually creates a lot of issues like you're saying within marriages that might be a good partnership if you didn't have this layer of codependency like you're saying that mm -hmm. you're in charge of the other person like you know it was even like when my partner left the church i was in charge of making him come back no that's not on me i shouldn't be in charge of that that's him you know mm -hmm. like to be two adults should be able to make the decisions they need to make separately um right. without that pressure um but yeah there's all, all like um so if you are in the church and you know you're not supposed to do pornography then you're going to keep it a secret and then the secrets can lead to a lot of other issues within a relationship mm -hmm. because 
that's just very hurtful when you're in an intimate relationship with someone to be keeping that from them, but not feel like you can share. And it just, that creates a lot of toxicity too, because like you're saying, a lot of individuals will engage in these things and then you'll feel guilty and you'll feel bad. And that's not a good emotion. That's not a good way to feel about your body and about your pleasure experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think it's taken years for me to let a lot of that sink in that it's like someone told me what was okay in the bedroom before I even knew what the bedroom looked like you know like I was not and I was taught by my church experience that you're not supposed to have oral sex you're not supposed to have anal Mm -hmm. sex you know like they have it's not even just don't have sex till you're married it's when your sex happens you're supposed to involve God in it that I heard Mormon women describe it as a spiritual experience with their husband and Mm -hmm. so then I walked into marriage needing to do that and feeling this pressure that I needed to be free of all sin it was kind of like when you took the sacrament like you can't have sex until you're feeling pure and you know like what if I did look at that guy walking down the street oh no I better tell my husband before we have foreplay you know like just it puts all these mental gymnastics in place that you're Mm -hmm. like you can't even feel comfortable having sex which often leads to actual physical pain for a lot of humans um, because you can't allow yourself to really become pleasured and I remember like walking into marriage, I didn't even know what it felt like to be turned on. Mm-hmm. Not really. I had had many miniature glimpses, which I felt guilty for all of them. You know, mm-hmm. so I've already got this negative emotion put next to pleasure in my brain. But then it's like, I didn't really know how to turn myself on because I wasn't supposed to masturbate. So I wasn't even supposed to know my own anatomy. I wasn't supposed right. to touch my own body. Mm-hmm. I didn't have, I didn't know what I would like, you know, like what, you know, it, having to figure all that out at the beginning of starting a marriage is so much. It's so overwhelming right. for people. And like I yeah. said, it's zero to a thousand that if you were pure and faithful, you haven't had sex with anyone unless it was unconsensual, which sadly is also a big part of what happens to people. Um, mm-hmm. But you don't have a positive sexual experience because you haven't, you haven't even been allowed to. There's no space for that. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it sort of robs you, you know? Yeah. Um, you, you can't even guide your partner through what you like because you don't know what you like and there's no vocabulary for it. And even, um, you, we were talking before we hit record about the book, come as you are. Yes. And like this, you know, finding out that like, I don't remember what the percent was, but it was ridiculous of how many adult women don't know the names of their parts. And when I read that, when I read that, I realized, oh no, I don't know the names of the women's parts. I have them, but like, how am I supposed, like, you can't see them. (laughs) Right. And you're not supposed to be. Or even the part that suggests like getting in touch with your own body, even with a mirror. Mm -hmm. That was like such a foreign concept. And I remember having a moment that I was like, why don't I know my own body? Oh, I was forbidden. (laughs) I wasn't supposed to, but why not? Like, it's it's so healthy to get in touch with yourself because yes, you need to be, you need to know your own body in order to have a positive connection with someone else. Right. So um, going back to your story. Okay. So you left the church, you started writing erotica, 
what made you decide to write that first scene in the first place? Again, it was a writing exercise. It was like for a, for a class or what? No, just for myself. I I've written for a long time. Um, I wrote okay. as a hobby before I published for years. Uh, writing's always been healing for me. It's been um, an outlet. Like during some of the hardest parts of my life, I would write a lot and just give my feelings a place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think even part of me wanted to um, have a deeper connection with my own desire and pleasure and intimacy. And in order to, because how I understand things is through writing them, how I process things is through writing them. So even though that wasn't necessarily a conscious part, I think part of what made me try to write that way was my own discovery of putting myself in a place that I could feel feelings that maybe part of me was still inhibited from. Um, Because you have to break down a lot of walls to allow yourself to write that kind of a scene. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially when you come from a background where don't read it, especially don't write it. Like you're making other people sin, you know, you're Mm -hmm. dirty whore, you know, like there are all these words that people throw out of it. Um, and just so much shame. I felt a lot of shame. And I was glad that I kept going. <laughs> um, because then I read a very not closed door romance. And I remember it was like, oh, it's okay. You know, like it felt very good for me to read it. And it, it gave me a lot more permission for myself. And then I read more. And like I said, it gave me a healthy relationship with intimacy <laughs> through being able to connect with these books. And Mm -hmm. then I was like, I don't like the shame of it. I wanted to write it because I don't think it's right that I was told I couldn't, you know, I didn't want the shame anymore. So for myself, it was very vulnerable to actually publish a book. So a game like ours is definitely steamy. There are multiple intimate moments in this book. There's multiple intimate moments with multiple genders in this book. So when you read a game like ours, in the first chapter, Bobby goes to meet a non-binary person and they have a hookup over the weekend. And I Mm -hmm. remember it was a big deal that I could write that and that I could publish it. And then Bobby also has a lot of romantic moments with the heroine of the story. And Bobby also has a lot of romantic uh, moments um, and... I knew that he was bisexual when I was writing him. I've been, I had been working on this book for a long time and I knew that he wasn't straight when I went into the final draft. And so the book plot changed drastically and I leaned into those feelings that felt very vulnerable and raw. And I was like, okay, this is Bobby's story. This is what I need to write. And I wrote about his bisexual experiences and then I fell apart at the computer because I had been raised as a straight woman my whole life. I thought that's who I was because society told me I was. And even though that's never who I've been, that's who I thought I was up until this point. I was 29 years old, typing at my computer, falling apart. Oh my goodness. To Bobby having a bisexual experience. And I remember I shouldn't have felt it that hard. Like I had this moment where I was like, why does this matter to me so much? And then it led to a lot of soul searching. (laughs) And I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, 
I am also bisexual. Whoa, I did not even know this part of me existed. And it felt like coming home to myself to finally see the things that were always there that I had locked up, that I had in my own suppression locked into its own closet, you know, that I couldn't even come out to myself that no, when I was younger, I had had lots of crushes on women. And I was like, a straight person doesn't feel these things, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's different. And to really let myself be. So that happened when I wrote a game like ours. And then it went through the editing process and the publishing process. And I was still like, getting used to being bisexual like to acknowledging that I'm bisexual I was getting used to how that felt and just how freeing it was to be like wow I don't have to hide this part of myself from myself and then I remember one day I was actually getting dressed with just clothes out of my closet and I was like there's more here that I'm hiding from myself Mm. and it was like whoa I was not ready. Well, I mean, I was, but I wasn't at the same time (laughs) that it really opened up a lot of feelings that I just, it was like putting a puzzle piece together of my whole life. And I was like, this makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. I have always felt this way. I've always been transgender (laughs) and I had never felt like a woman, like ever. Even as this Mormon housewife trying so hard to be what I was told I was supposed to be, I had Mm -hmm. never connected to that identity. When I went through puberty, I was extremely dysphoric, but I didn't know that was unusual. I didn't know that not everyone felt that way. And I was able to really explore this piece of myself that, again, I had suppressed. I had locked it up tight. Any part of awareness I might have had had been stomped in my own mind based on Mm -hmm. how I grew up so it was huge and the floodgates of emotion (laughs) but then it it felt so much better to just let myself exist yeah so So what did that look like you're standing in your closet you're looking through your clothes and like what did it look like paint the picture for me yeah So I'm in the bathroom getting ready, like I always do. And I'm thinking about the book, like it's on the back of my head. And I'm like, it's crazy that I went my whole life not even realizing I was bisexual, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, because when you start feeling attracted to people, like that's when I started having even bisexual attraction, like way back in the beginning, like when you think of your first crush, you know, like this Mm -hmm. has always been here. Um, And so I'm thinking about the book and I'm thinking about my friends that have come out to me because I've kind of stepped into the queer community for real Um, because I, I definitely considered myself an ally before that. And that was a piece of what I didn't agree with about the Mormon church was how they treated people because I had several friends that had come out as gay or something that was not straight and cisgender. Um, And because I had so many friends in the church that felt like they either had to hide themselves or leave the church. I remember like feeling like, why did they have to make that choice? Like I wish that the church had space for them, um, even just as an ally, even just feeling like mad for my friends that they couldn't just be who they were and Mm -hmm. also go to church if they wanted that. That didn't ever make sense to me. 
because again, I believed that God loved everyone. And yes, I'd been taught it was a sin, but I think part of me didn't even believe that. But then I was like, yeah, I, I can't believe I went my whole life not understanding my own sexuality. And it really just hit. And I was like, I think I'm a guy. <laughs> I think I'm a guy. I'm like, what? You know, it's like, I don't think I'm a girl. I don't think I've ever been a girl. And and huh. then I and then of course my own internalized transphobia was like, of course you are. Yeah. Of You're course. Of course you are. Why wouldn't you be? You had babies, for goodness sake. You know, like all mm-hmm. these reasons. And then I was like, part of me knew. And it was like, no, <laughs> this is real. And it makes so much sense. And it gave me permission to be who I was. And I think mm-hmm. my whole life up until this point, I had been trying to give myself permission because I think even growing up in a toxic space. Um, just discovering myself and trying to be myself and who I was, was always very difficult because yes, I did not fit in. I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in at home. I didn't fit in at school. I didn't fit in at church. I didn't fit. I didn't fit in, in myself. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, (laughs) you know, if I actually let myself be myself, and stop all those thoughts that were like, no, of course, you need to be more feminine. Of course, go style your hair. How dare you just have a messy butt? You know, all the silly mm-hmm. things, which regardless of gender identity, it's really sad that we grow up thinking these things about ourselves. And I hope that we can see a shift coming in later generations, because I think a lot of people have woken up to the fact that these self-deprecating thoughts are not helpful. Right. That human beings can exist with value without looking like a magazine or whatever pressure we've been putting on ourselves but it's just my self-confidence like leaped like I felt like I could be myself for real and I wasn't hiding that Mm -hmm. from me anymore and then I was a little bit nervous a lot nervous because being trans in this world is horrible (laughs) um yeah it's not someone it's not not something people would just choose to be funny or or to, to no. just be unique. I've all, I've ever since really joining the community as someone who is very queer, I, I've, I keep being surprised <laughs> that all of us are in this boat where a lot of people seem to think we make it up. And I'm like, no, no one would choose this. Not in our culture. No. Literally no one would want this life because... <laughs> Not only do you get misgendered all the time, it can be a safety issue. Oh, yeah. Big time. And it is for many people. And it's it's terrifying to live and exist. And it's like, well, how do you keep yourself safe? And why is that part of your journey now just because of who you are? That's heartbreaking. So, yeah, I had to settle into myself for a little bit. And then I came out to my partner, who was awesome about the whole thing. How did uh, that conversation go? Like, how do how do you even breach the subject? Like, hey, husband, yeah. I'm a man. I don't think it really came out of nowhere because I had already been very masculine mm-hmm. when I was feeling comfortable being myself. Mm-hmm. I would wear his clothes. Like, we're, we wear the same size. So I would wear his clothes out of the closet more oh, that's than I <laughs> Nice. It, it was very nice. I We could buy clothes for each other. Um <laughs> But I didn't give myself permission of that. I always felt very conscious when I did, you know, because I wasn't supposed to be a tomboy anymore. I was supposed to grow out of that. 
or whatever mm-hmm. society told me, you know, but we had had conversations already, even intimate conversations where I had wanted to role play as a man. Mm-hmm. And I think that was also a part of how I figured out this is more than just the clothes. You know, this is when I felt pleasure, I imagined I was a man a lot of the time and I was like I don't think most women laying there having sex imagine this you know Mm -hmm. but he knew that we're we're actually a very open couple we we talk a lot and so he had already known that because we had talked about it and I was like can we pretend that we're even characters from my book I was like can we role play is that that would be so fun for me and he was like yeah cool and so we had already had moments that made it okay mm-hmm. um and then again it was kind of like trying it on for size like okay is this really how I feel and um I still think maybe some of me fits in the non-binary category because the thing with labels is they're really nice but they're not all encompassing like right you can't identify a human being in a word you can come close but it's not always exactly it And I'm like, I think some of me exists in the non-binary realm. So I actually stepped into that first because I knew she, her bothered me. So we started changing pronouns and I had named myself Ethan pretty early on. Like I knew that was my favorite name. Mm -hmm. I had a connection to this name already. It was one of my very favorite sounds for a name. And so it wasn't hard for me to name myself. And then I just started referring to myself as Ethan Hmm. and then I I told my partner I was like yeah I want to go by Ethan and he started calling me Ethan and yeah like I said he's been amazing through this whole process yeah that is that is really amazing to have a partner who's so supportive of that because I think most wouldn't I think it would weird people out I know that ours is not the average story Mm -hmm. I I feel very lucky because of that. Um, and even when I came out as bisexual, a lot of people worried about our relationship, which I found interesting. I was like, well, it's our relationship. We're good. <laughs> right. Plus you're adults. You're really, consenting really your adults. Business. Um, right. You yeah. can make up your own mind about things. Right. But that was a lot of the questions was, well, what about him? How does he feel about this? And I was like, well, we've obviously talked about it. <laughs> like, I'm not coming out online before I've talked to my partner, you know? Right. Um but yeah, it, it's interesting. A lot of people have a hard time with it, but I'm like, I think in our relationship, it happened to work out. And and like I said, I know that's not everyone. And I feel very fortunate because a lot of people who do transition, especially later in life, end up in a different relationship or single um, right. because it is very complicated. And if that's a big deal in your relationship, it can very much complicate the dynamic so I, I know that ours is not typical because we stayed together through this. That's amazing. So at what point did you, like, how did you start to come out? Like, was it little by little to trusted people or did you just like go to the hair salon and come out a man? So I still actually feel like I have one foot in and one foot out. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's not a secret anyone who wants to talk about it I will talk about it with them you know as long as they can be respectful and I can feel comfortable with the conversation 
not everyone is respectful. I've definitely had some difficult conversations with individuals, but thankfully for the most part, I kind of eased into it. So um, I'm part of a group called PFLAG, which uh, started out as parents and friends of lesbian and gays. And over the first pride, you know, if you know anything about queer history, they were at the first pride parade and it has now spread to everything LGBTQ. It's not just lesbian and gay, obviously, but it's anyone who is queer or queer adjacent. A lot of people that are very strong allies in the community, they'll join this. So um, mm -hmm. we got a local chapter and a lot of, a lot of towns will have them. Um, and I joined it because I wanted to find a local community. And the first meeting I went to when we were in a circle <laughs> announcing, you know, I had put on my manliest outfit. I was like, I look as masculine as possible. Um, it was actually the first shirt I bought for myself from the men's section since transitioning to myself. You know, like it was my favorite shirt. And I put it on and I went to P-Flag and my heart was pounding. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. You know, it's kind of like that moment where you're like, you can't go back. You cannot pretend that didn't happen. You know, like it's, this is mm -hmm. a big moment. Um, and there were probably, I don't know, 20 people in the meeting. And I just said, my name's Ethan. And my goal from P-Flag is just to exist and to be myself. And everyone was really cool. They didn't know me hardly at all, but people mm -hmm. were like, I'm so glad you're here. And like, everyone was using my name and it was so cool. I was like, oh, this feels amazing. Like talk about like giving your soul a hug. And I kept going to that group. I'm still a part of it, but it felt so good. But for a minute, that was it. Like I was out at home. I had told my partner, mm -hmm. I had told one friend, just one. <laughs> I hadn't told anyone else. And then I walked into a group of 20 mostly strangers and I was myself and it felt really good. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is it. You know, like when you start taking steps towards the life that you want to be in, mm -hmm. it feels so good. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, this is right. Um, and, and for almost a year, I was only out in P-Flag and at home. And slowly, I would meet new people, make new friends, whether from PFLAG or something I had attended in the community. And they'd be like, what's your name? And I would introduce myself as Ethan. And sometimes I got a little hiccup, like, oh, that's weird, a girl named Ethan. You know? mm -hmm. And I would be like, yeah, my pronouns are he, him, you know. And then slowly, I would start telling, like, some friends <laughs> that already knew me. And that was hard because you never know. You never know what it's going to look like. Right. But I've even had people that are not publicly out. And this happened with all identities, not just like, you know, people that are LGBTQ that don't feel safe coming out would message me after I came out online as bi. Mm -hmm. And so then I came out online as not cisgender <laughs> because I was actually talking about a horrible conversation that happened. And I was like, what not to do? Because um, <laughs> oh. someone told me. Someone told me I should have grown out of my dysphoria because I said mm. when I hit puberty and when my chest grew, I remember feeling very uncomfortable and like my whole body just was not right. And she goes, you just never grew out of it. I don't think that's something people grow out of. In fact, I think it 
for a lot of people, it gets worse. At least, I mean, in, in the um, eating disorder realm, because like I'm a health coach, I do a lot of nutrition in the eating disorder realm, the gender dysphoria can get worse over time. And especially compounding with like life stressors and, and, you know, different things happening. And so like for them to say that for one thing, they think that gender dysphoria is something that is controllable maybe like that's your choice and so this just seems really odd that they would be saying that like you should have grown out of it because it's like where do they where did that thought come from where did they get that idea I don't know but yeah it was actually one of the worst conversations I've had Um, and that person wanted nothing to do with me after and um, as a queer person (laughs) I was actually at their home um, at a writing group like we were all writers getting together and it happened to come up and she was being very queer phobic. And I was like, well, I'm actually non-binary also, you know, because that's where I was sitting at the time. And she looked at me like something was wrong with me. Like, and I knew the conversation wasn't going to go well. But yes, like mm-hmm. talk about not having any actual experience with people who feel this way or just being heartless, you know, just that they did not actually want to learn. Um, mm-hmm. they just wanted to tell me, you know, that my existence is wrong. And I was like, no, I actually grew into this. It took me years to be mature enough to realize that's what was happening. Right. Cause you had to get, you had to overcome years and years of conditioning that were causing you to bury the feelings. Right. Wow. So she yeah. wasn't, she wasn't from the church though. She was from your book group. No. Yeah. She was just someone okay. I knew in life. Yeah. And, and we didn't talk after that. I I mean, I said, thanks for having us, you know, and it was, yeah, Mm -hmm. but I tried to change the subject quickly because I knew that was not going well, but it it was very transphobic. It was very queer phobic at all. Very attack oriented, the whole conversation. Um, And so I had posted that online, not the conversation, but my recap of it, just like Uh how not to treat somebody that came out to you. Um, Right because I wasn't actually going to come out in that meeting, but I felt I needed to because of the way she was talking. I was like, whoa, you need to calm down. Like, right. This is not okay. And it was actually hate directed toward another member of the group that had come out to her. And I was like, whoa, this person is not alone. I'm also part of the community. Let me explain this to you. And just in a way that's professional, you know, because I was trying to be professional and friendly and not say anything attacking or mean, obviously. But she became very aggressive in the conversation. And I was like, yeah, this isn't going to go well. But yeah, some people are very against our existence. And and sometimes you know that, you know, sometimes you can just tell from the way a person acts. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where, when I was saying, like, if you're working in public, safety first, you know, that's that's been my goal. I'm like, I don't want to do anything that compromises safety for anyone in the community but hopefully as a society, it can become more safe, mm-hmm. um, especially as more people are coming out. It felt very vulnerable for me to even mention it online. And again, I haven't necessarily come out and said, I'm Ethan, hi. But again, it's not a secret. So anyone that wants to talk about it, I came out to my family, my siblings. Um, I, I let them all know, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, there we go. Um <laughs> And like I said, slowly over time, as I was talking to people, if it would come up, I would bring it up or I'd be like, yeah, I'm actually 
trans, you know, like it's, it's so hard because you have to know that your relationship might totally change. It might not. And you never know. And it's, it really feels mm-hmm. like a roll of the dice. <laughs> but thankfully, I've had more good experiences than bad overall as of today. Um, mm-hmm. More often than not, even if people don't understand, they're not usually hateful to my face, you know, thankfully. But that does happen. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's part of the journey. Well, something, something someone told me, cause I, I, you know, I'm still kind of reluctant to put the podcast, like just straight out onto my Facebook because it's a ex-Mormon podcast and, yeah. you know, there's family and friends, it, you know, it, it wouldn't necessarily be safe for me to, to just put it out in, I was talking to uh, one of my business coaches and she said, well, she said, if you lose friends over this, if they find out that you've left the church and that you're helping people who have also left the church, if they decide that they don't want to be your friend anymore, that means that their relationship with you was dependent on you being in the church, which means it wasn't really a friendship in the first place. Exactly. They weren't really friends with you. And it's true. Like, if if the thing they're dependent on is anything besides a mutual love and respect with me as a human being, that's not a friendship. Maybe maybe yeah. it's a community or you know like a community membership, but it's not a friendship. And right. needless to say, I still am not publicly posting the podcast out there. We're this far as of today, we're still only sharing in Exmo spaces, yeah, um, and growing organically like that. But at some point, you know, I'm chewing on this idea of like how open to be about all this and just, you know, the idea of safety and other people's opinions. And it, it, it's it's a journey. Like, I, I feel like it's not the same thing as coming out as queer or bi or anything like that. It's not the same. I'm not diminishing your experience in any way. But I, I do feel like in some tiny bit, like I've been experiencing some of that fear of just you know, social backlash, I guess. Yeah. And um, I I know it's not the same, but it definitely is a relatable experience because this is a part of you that people knew you as Mm -hmm. that is now not a part of you. And that is hard for a lot of people um, because of their own emotions. (laughs) Um, And -hmm. like you're saying, was the friendship dependent on this? Some of them are, you know, usually, usually you will at least have a different dynamic with a person after saying I'm ex-Mormon, you know, and that happened Mm -hmm. with me too, before I came out um, as queer, but also just in life, I was like, okay, who's still, who's still here? Okay. These are the real friends, you know, it's like, right. And some of that is what happens, you know, when you have a big life change and it's helpful to know, okay, well, that one has run its course. And yes, that was, I guess, the depth of our relationship was dependent on that, like you're saying. And there are other relationships that you keep. And like you say, you're still friends with people that are still part of the church. And I've been really thankful for my friends that we can be on totally different pages about faith, about religion. And still we have, again, a relationship separate of that, that Mm -hmm. can love and cherish one another, regardless of church regardless of 
if I identify as a man or a woman or a Mm non-binary person, it's, it's really nice. The people that, yeah, that you have more depth with that you could tell them what you need to tell them and it's safe. Um, but yeah, I understand that it it doesn't always feel safe and, um, it's a process. I don't have all the answers for that either. Like sometimes I'm like, I wish I didn't come out ever. (laughs) I will just stay in my closet and be comfortable. But were you ever actually comfortable? (laughs) No. Um, and that's where, yeah, it's, it's not actually true because thankfully you get to have good experiences too. And yes, you have uncomfortable ones, but I'd like to take a step forward and be like, well, thankfully I can come out here and be myself here. And it might not be at the drive-through. It might not be at the library or whatever, but in this space, I can be myself and mm-hmm. not have to worry about it. And you can drink coffee or beer. You know, like I remember when we first left the church, we would hide alcohol or anything Mm -hmm. that was against the word of wisdom. We didn't want anyone to see it. And then we had a moment where we were like, this is kind of silly. We don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But it definitely was a big moment. The first time I had somebody over with coffee on the counter, like it was a big deal. And then I would have people over and I'd be like, well, we have coffee, but I know that you probably would like something else. So I have some soda too, you know, and like kind of bridge the gap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's not done overnight. So you'll figure it out how, when you feel safe and if you feel safer with a different audience, that's okay too. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of those things like, you know, the podcast is here to help serve other people you know, I guess, I guess one of the things I go back and forth about is like, I don't want to be opening wounds and I don't want to be causing any kind of damage. And I, I definitely think that there are people in my like public, like my Facebook, you know, group or, uh, uh, sorry, in my Facebook, like profile and my friends that would be hurt by the very existence of this. And so it's kind of like, you know, how, how to navigate that in a way where I actually can reach the audience that will be helped by it without damaging people who it's not meant for. Cause I mean, obviously like if you're like yeah. an active, active Mormon, active believing Mormon, and you listen to some of these podcasts, it may be hurtful. It you know, probably because, will be because of, right. of at least the cognitive dissonance. And, and I like that you have a, a, a very peaceful approach, you know, the, your, mm-hmm. if the church works for you, great. If not great. But even that can be such new territory for someone that is still very much in the church. Yeah. I like to preface it with like, this is what I like to say. I will fight for your right to practice your beliefs and your religion, just as I would expect you to fight for my rights to not have to. Yes. There's no argument for that. Definitely. No, there's not. (laughs) I love it. So can I ask you, um, let's see, is there more of the story beyond, you know, starting to come out and getting more open with more friends? Where are you at right now in your, in your journey? Yeah, no, that's where I am. Like I said, I am, I'm writing full-time right now. Um, but if I decide to work somewhere else, I've decided I would like to work somewhere that it's at least queer accepting. It doesn't have to be like the most queer place ever, but I would like to be able to exist as myself if I take a job again. And that's just where I'm at. I'm like, I don't want that. There are still some places that I feel more comfortable just blending in. 
versus standing out as a trans person. <laughs> um, and I don't know if that will adjust over time, but I just am kind of allowing myself to be here with the in-between. And, and like I say, as I, as I hang out with people, I'm telling them, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, well, I actually go by Ethan now, but a lot of people still call me Marissa and that's okay too. And I keep my online profiles because that's the name on my book. And I've thought about changing it, but I haven't decided to. So again, I'm, I'm just uh, a good thing I learned from leaving the church is it's okay to be in a spot where you haven't figured out what's next. Um, mm -hmm. And it's okay to just sit with that and be like, yeah, I don't really know how to navigate this, but I'm sure I'll figure it out one step at a time. Yeah. It felt good to come out to my siblings. That was important to me. Um, as a, and as I became more comfortable, I decided it was time to do that because I wouldn't feel comfortable coming out, you know, on this podcast, I wouldn't yeah. have told you Ethan at all. Um, right. And, and yeah, even just not that long ago, that might've been the case, but I'm starting to feel more comfortable. And I'm like, this is a good step. This is a, Hey, it's me. I can be here. Um, but yes, the, the self-acceptance has been the biggest thing for me it's like so personal just to be able to be like whoa I don't have to hide myself from myself anymore <laughs> um, right because that caused so much internal pain and I don't have to feel that way anymore I can wear whatever I want to wear I can express however I want to express I can be the most feminine man you've ever seen and still be a trans man and you know it's taken a lot to get to that point internally because everyone is raised in this heteronormative society right. where this is life, you know, and um, it takes a lot to debunk even your own walls against yourself. And, and it's so helpful every time we get a chance to do that. And writing erotica helped me break down those walls and build a better connection to myself. And I've even written about religious trauma in my books lightly. It's not the main mm -hmm. plot, but there is definitely some acknowledgement of how it can be harmful. And just writing through those things has been very amazing. And I love it when people will read my books and then let me know this mm -hmm. book meant something to me that I related to Bobby. Like a lot of people who are bi relate to the bi erasure in this world. And I on purpose addressed that in the book. And so a lot of people felt very seen with his character because he is a bisexual person that ends up with a straight cisgender female and mm -hmm. he's still bisexual. And a lot right. of people have a hard time with that for whatever reason. It's like, oh, well, you're straight now because you're with a guy or you're with a girl or whatever. That's not how it works. It's, it's a misconception. Um, and so I on purpose wrote about that and how he is no less bisexual, even though he chooses to end up with Lexi through the course of the book. Um, and also his own sexual liber liberation was really healthy for me to write because he's a player. Like one of my hooks is he's a player with a past, you know, and he is, he has been with a lot of people sexually. And even though he grew up religious, he has been able to deconstruct that in his own mind. And then when Lexi comes into it, she's like, you have way more practice than me. And he's like, well, that doesn't even matter. And she's like shocked. And she's like, well, I feel like a virgin compared to you. And he's like, well, that's a social construct. You know, like we talk about these things. That's mm -hmm. actually a favorite scene from a lot of my fans is like, he's like, well, it's still going to be special when it's us. It's not about that. 
um, and just like deconstructing virginity and deconstructing the stigmas around it that how dare he be with other people you know and just it's Mm -hmm. it gives freedom for that and and that feels healing to be free to be who you are and express Mm -hmm. that whatever that looks like yeah that's incredible and I I feel like you know being able to live your own authentic life to be vulnerable through these books uh, I just can't imagine the the experience that this has been for you it sounds amazing so um, if if someone wants to read your books how many are there what are they called are they a lot are they a little (laughs) yeah I have two full-length novels that are both available on Amazon Um, you can read them if you have Kindle Unlimited or you can buy the ebook or the paperback or a game like ours has a hardcover you can just search a game like ours and it will pull up my books it will have my author uh, profile on Amazon that you can click on Um, the other book is called A Risky Play so a game like ours has a bi main character and Mm -hmm. a risky play is a straight couple but the big brother of a lesbian who he's very protective of so it's a strong subplot Oh, interesting. With queer representation. And a game like ours is moderately steamy. Definitely a good, um, (laughs) people say it's a good romance if you're just starting to read romance, because Mm -hmm. um, there is some intimacy, but there's also a lot of other things that um, sometimes it helps you kind of step into the romance world a little bit. A risky Mm -hmm. play is very very erotic. It has probably 40% of the book is intimacy. They have a very, that's good to know very sexual relationship that is very much on page would you say like when you write your characters like when you when you write the intimacy and stuff how much attention do you pay to like building the characters and developing their personalities and their relationship versus like in the moment dirty sexy sex and the fun times that go with that yeah that's a great question um so usually I am very much a discovery writer. I do not plot the book. I will have an idea of where it's going and then I will start typing and see where the book takes me. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Zach and Trish, the book took me to the bedroom a lot. That was very much where the characters felt comfortable. Um, and it even works through a lot of their trauma because um, Trish comes from a very abusive home and she's able to disconnect when she has sex. And so they're able to connect through disconnecting. And Hmm. then it does kind of get into the heart of, oh, well, I actually have all of these things I'm still trying to work through. And it talks a lot. It's, um, It's a very toxic relationship, but then she works on herself to try to bridge that gap a little bit. So it's a good real love story, I think, because I think a lot of people talk start out in a toxic space, but you can work together and work on yourself and get to a healthier place. So yeah. That's amazing. Awesome. Okay. So those are on Amazon. Yeah. Um, and then we can find you like online. Marissa, yep, Marissa J. Grimal. Marissa J. Grimal. Okay. I'm going to add that into our show notes. If you guys listening want to check out the short show notes, there'll be links here so you can read the books and enjoy them and appreciate them. And, you know, hopefully this opens up some dialogue and some conversations that can help you through some of your, you know, healing journeys, exploring sexuality, reclaiming some autonomy. And these are, you know, tough topics coming out of, you know, Mormonism and 
all the years after of deconstruction and these these seem like they're going to be fantastic i can't re- wait to read them um okay well ethan let's wrap up is there anything else that you want to share uh that might be helpful for people or um inspiring for them um yeah i think just the important thing to remember is to be patient with yourself um a lot of us come from a background that we didn't know how to show self love um and learning how to do that will be so helpful, especially in your adult life and just accepting yourself, whatever that looks like and leaning into the uncomfortable feelings will actually lead to a better path. um, And that there is life on the other side of it all, even when it feels very daunting and overwhelming to try to break down these walls, there is life on the other side of it. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, Ethan, thank you so much for coming on. We'll go ahead and check out you guys, everybody go check out Marissa Grimal on all the places. Hey, thank Thank you you. so much for having me. All right. See ya. That's it for this episode of Health Beyond Mormonism. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review and share it with someone you love. Search, ponder, and pray about what you learned today. Come find me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and return and report. We'll see you guys next time.